Mama. Um, so this is Henry. And Henry had these babies um, like 48 hours ago. There's five of them. There's five of them. It's a, it's a relatively small litter because she is a um, first-time mom and also uh, babies having babies. Um, she's just a year old now and she... How, how, how big is Henry? Henry is, um, because she's still got her prigger's weight, she's probably about 270, 270 pounds. The pigs that we raise are a little smaller um, than uh, like the, the more common conventional uh, livestock breeds. Nose to tail, like how long? Oh, uh, five feet. So like if she stood up, she'd be as tall as me probably. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. She's, she weighs a lot more than I do. If, we, if she stood up... Um, and and she, she stretched would, her feet up? She'd look a lot like you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, um, thanks. Yeah, well, you know, like if you were both skinned and hanging from a butcher's hook, it would be fairly similar. I mean, pretty I don't need them. <laughs> pretty similar, pretty similar to humans. Um, Can we yeah, talk about the babies? about the same height. They're very cute babies. There are um, three boys and two girls. What are you going to do with the boys? We're going to castrate them on Saturday, which... <laughs> Um, I do the castrating and Pat restrains the pigs while I do it. I am, I am the scalpel welder. Um, you basically, <laughs> you basically make an incision in, at the high point of each of the testicles. Mm -hmm. So you make like a little slit and then you pop out, uh, <laughs> the nut. and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is The technical farmer term is uh, the nut. You pop out the nut um, and pull. Um, I just rip the nut out. out. Yeah, I just I just rip them out, and you you want to pull out the entire sperm cord too. So it's like the nut, sperm cord attached to it. Give it a good yank. Um, what I, happens to hogs if you don't castrate them? If you don't castrate them, um, not only will they be uh, aggressive once they like come into pig puberty and their balls drop. Um, uh, oh, Henry. Oh, sweet girl. She's just messing with her house right now. Um, yeah, if you don't castrate the males, um, they'll be aggro for sure. They will um, fuck their siblings uh, and their parents, whatever. But they also uh, get an... Off. Pigs, they're just like us. <laughs> they are. That's kind of the tagline. Um, yeah, they, um, they'll get a off uh, taste in, the, in their meat. Um, and, um, and that is called... It's, it's called boar taint. 
A, the coroner that pronounced Jeffrey Epstein dead also pronounced, like, Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy dead and shit, and, like, lots of other questionable deaths. But um, more importantly, the, uh, the, uh, the New York Post reporter who was the first to report on Jeffrey Epstein's death was friends with Robert Maxwell and uh, was the first to report on um, fucking uh, Kubrick's death and said that he was happy and happy and peaceful, smiling and laughing when he died. All right, everyone. This is the person I've been in a car with for the last week. <laughs> That's Sarah June. Hello. Me and her are on tour <laughs> talking about... I have about important news. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein conspiracy theories and shit. Um, hi, what's up? This is Pod Damn America, the gothic socialist podcast for dumbasses. Hi, this is Jake. Um, with me is Sarah June. Hello, I'm thinking Epstein. <laughs> We're in the woods and I'm still thinking Epstein. Yeah, we got those brain worms. Yeah. Someone described a while back the Epstein brain worms as being like, um, you know those old cartoons where like, there's an apple and there's a little worm that comes out of it and smiles? Yeah. It's just that, but it's your head. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Jeffrey Epstein's face on a worm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just saying there's not any reason to believe that anything that we are told in the media is true. <laughs> there is no reason to believe anything the FBI tells you about this man's death. There's no reason to believe anything the CIA tells you about this man's death or his life. Yeah. I um, obviously like am in the same... I have Epstein brain. I think he's dead. I went back all the way back around. I don't think he's alive anymore. Um, but uh, I... <laughs> I just deigned to joke about the Epstein thing being a little bit of a put on mm -hmm. on Twitter and people got so mad at me. Well, a lot of people <laughs> sincerely believe that the Clintons are not involved. And so that's like upsetting to realize. I just meant like how just fucking everyone I know has just got Epstein brain and it's like, it's a little trendy, I guess is the word. Okay. I suspect some people aren't actually reading the conspiracies and they're just like, Hey, I got Epstein brain. No, I'm part of the cool. Jake, Twitterati. I'm, I'm reading the theories. <laughs> I'm in a, I'm in a DM, you know, I'm in a group about it. I'm just saying don't cosplay. Like, you got to read the theory. I've read the theory. <laughs> Can you do... Well, there's already a podcast to tell you about Epstein theories. Yeah. Yeah, they, they got... I think they got mad at me. <laughs> uh, don't worry, idiots. I got, I got that brain, too. Epstein brain. That's when he sucks your dick. Okay, let's start the podcast. <laughs> start there. <laughs> We're reporting from a forest of marijuana, the Pacific Northwest. I finally made it back here. I've been here in 10 years, and I was a little bit apprehensive about coming to this part of the country because I think I'm a different type of... Uh, my brain runs on alcohol and cigarettes and uh, you know worrying about things, and this part of the country is very chill vibes mm -hmm. and uh, weed and... Smoking um, it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a little a little worried, but actually I'm kind of getting into it. I think the this town is well, not this town, this part of the country is changing me. Jake's shoulders are now slightly below his ears. <laughs> Arcada did a lot to me. Yeah, that place is great. We uh should we should we talk about where we started? Let's go through so far where we've been. Okay. We started in Los Angeles. We did roast battle. Okay. I won. 
Let's get that out of the way. I won the roast battle. What'd not you, important. Not important. What'd you win, Sara? I won nothing. Yeah. I won no money, no clout, no title, <laughs> and no fame. The funny thing about that roast battle is apparently like, there was these two old guys that were like store comedian guys mm-hmm. that were the last card, and they were like about to fist fight <laughs> each other over <laughs> this dumb game that you win nothing for. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like you don't win any money when you win roast battle, but like if you win enough of them and you get on the fucking leaderboard and you become undefeated, then maybe you can go on Roast Battle on TV and maybe get money. Yeah. But really, it's like a like the prize is maybe getting a writing job on the fucking Comedy Central roast of Alec Baldwin or whatever. <laughs> you know, so it's not really a prize. Right, you know <laughs> it's saying? just a fucking job. <laughs> More like a sentence. Yep. Hey, um, please hire me. Okay, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, these two guys were like about, they were like about to get in a fucking fight. Yeah, like sometimes, sometimes when the jokes aren't that good, the judges won't pick a winner because they're like, this wasn't that interesting. (laughs) And then those guys have to then decide, you know, whether they tied or whatever. And uh, they take it real seriously. Yeah, so we did that. We didn't realize that Jon Stewart was one of the judges until the car ride home. Yeah, somehow we missed it when they introduced him and he's, his face was in shadow. He was wearing his incognito John hat and uh, he has a beard and he doesn't sound like Jon Stewart anymore. His voice was like hoarse from like farming or whatever the fuck he does now. <laughs> like just he doesn't farm, he just cares for animals. Oh yeah. They're not livestock. They're just there to like live out their days in happiness being petted by Jon Stewart until they die. It was a weird experience because he was like in it's so dark in the fucking store that yeah. when I looked up there, he looked like he was in silhouette like he was being interviewed I literally couldn't see his face. Yeah. And then he <laughs> and his sounded, voice sounded different. different like he was talking into a voice modifier. So I think we did really well because we were like, we're not in front of the Daily Show guy right yeah. now, you know. I was, I was like, this is some fucking store guy that I don't know and don't care about. Because <laughs> sometimes they get random people to ro- uh, to judge a roast battle. Boy, let me tell you, that random person has been me. Yep, that's what I'm saying, man. No one knew who the <laughs> fuck I was. <laughs> yeah, you're just there. The store's weird, man. Yeah, they have their own rules. Yeah. So LA was good. Um, we shoved off from there. Did some bar shows and shit. I did. Um, did a bunch of podcasts, um, and then quickly, I got sick of LA pretty quick. I think I, the, what I really wanted to do this tour was just get out into the fucking country, man. Um, we went to where the fuck did we go after that? We, we went, went to, to the, the wedding. Went to the Bay Area, and then missed my our friend Claire's wedding. Um, <laughs> I, I we planned this entire tour around a wedding that Jake said was on a Sunday. We, we put and it, it turns out. <laughs> It was not. We put it in a Google Doc wrong. I remember the conversation where we were like, which day is it? And I'm like... Look, I am a plus one to this wedding. I had never seen the invite. I said, Jake, when's the wedding? He said, it's the 8th. I said, great. And I put it in the thing. And I never saw, you know, I never RSVP'd. I'm simply a plus one. I don't know how this fucking happened. We ran into like... 10 people that were like, see you this weekend. Just vaguely. At the wedding. Um, we were like, yeah. And then the weird thing is we had a show booked on the night of the wedding like a bunch of fucking assholes. Well, because we fucking thought it was the night before. Yeah. Anyway. I know. It was bad. It was a bad look. And even Clara was like, you know, I saw your tour schedule and I thought, huh. And I was like, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> she was like, I don't know. I figured you guys would figure it out. I was like, no. Such bad vibes. I started off in like LA and I was really stressed out from planning this shit. And then like, you know, ruined my friend's wedding. Uh, I'm sure, you know, they got married without you. <laughs> no. <laughs> they were okay. No, no, it's not legally. The wedding was ruined. <laughs> legally binding unless I'm there. I'm ordained. 
Um, no. Uh, congratulations, Clara Kane and Nick Nanny. It was um, a beautiful wedding from what we saw. Yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely vibe. Sam Talent was wearing shorts. It was nice. It was pretty chill wedding. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyways. It was a polos type of wedding. Anyways, let's stop talking about this forever because I feel so bad about it. I know. It's funny. <laughs> um, but more importantly, right? Okay. Here's something we should talk about. So when you're driving up the uh, West Coast, you're driving through these forests and like there are, these are all over the country. If you've traveled around enough, you'll see these like yellow signs that say like, you know, mysterious thing, um, you know, a hundred miles and then mysterious thing, 75 miles. It just keeps sort of like egging you on. Like you got to come see this thing. There's one in the Southwest called the thing. And then there's this other one up here called the mystery spot. Well, the mystery spot is an actual paranormal uh, site. Yeah. No one's going to argue with me on this. Thank you. Um, I, I went to it. I saw it. Yeah. The mystery spot is not like, come look at our big ball of string type tourist attraction. It's come feel our weird hill. <laughs> so the mystery spot is you go and then a fucking underpaid college student tour guide t- drags you through this hill and explains that there's this, this paranormal like anomaly of physics mm-hmm. where there's this like gravity is just like slanted weird. by like, a degree basically this guy tried to buy like a plot of land in the woods and um there's uh and he had to buy the hill next to it and the hill you can't build anything on because the gravity is too strong he like tried to build a cabin on it and it slid halfway down the hill this is the story they tell you and uh yeah and now like when you're in the cabin everything is really like tilted like they tell you know you're at this grade and you have a level and stuff and so like shit looks really fucked up and tilted when it's actually flat and it looks flat when it's actually super tilted water runs uphill you know all kinds of craziness yeah it's cool it looks like the little fucking house from the end of hereditary like slid down a mountain and landed sideways and then you walk inside of it and everything's slanty and optical illusiony you know you pull out a compass and it starts spinning around yeah it's crazy and they start explaining that they think it might have something to do with like the fucking like a magma underneath the earth creating yeah, an alternate gra- gravitational pull and all this stuff totally worth eight bucks yeah you buy a weird tchotchke that's fucking it got right. me a mug got me a banana slug finger puppet check it out if you're in that part of the country and you get the bumper stickers for free (laughs) now here's the second part of the story if you keep driving up the west coast and you pass the bay area and you come up towards uh where we are now like northern california proper has confusion hill there's a similar yellow sign that says a hundred fucking miles from here confusion hill you gotta check and there's out a big confusion question mark hill. that's their logo so it looks like it says confusion hill a hundred <laughs> miles <laughs> but it's like similar like font and colors and stuff yep. and then you get to this thing called confusion hill and it's like really fucking similar to the mystery spot yeah right yeah there's like the same type of architecture it's not as good there's They have the architecture. So at Confusion Hill, they have no actual paranormal like spot. They don't have the the mystery spot thing of like, oh, we we bought this land and we found it. What they have is a guy who was like, that mystery spot thing is pretty cool. I bet I could find another one. And he went and looked around for spots to to have a fucking confusion spot. He just made... And he was like, this one's fine. And nothing happened. Like, there's nothing that happens on the hill. But they have a little building shaped like a shoe. They have a little like shoe house. And they have a lot of like maps around and they have um a a, like a lot of vintage Smokey the bear stuff and they have some good like bigfoot um shit and they have cedar boxes it's like a classic 
Highway 5 experience. But then they're like, also, this hill is confusing. Okay, so here's my point about this, right? You go into Confusion Hill, and there's this guy who's like, I wanted to make one, too. So I bought a sideways cabin, and I threw it in the woods. <laughs> and you're like, okay. And you walk inside of it, and not the same stuff happens. But he's like, sideways cabin, sideways cabin, yeah. right? And then you go to the gift shop to buy like a little tchotchke of like yeah. a wood carving of a bear. And they go... Okay, it's seven dollars, and then the dollar forty nine after that. That's the government's cut, and yeah. you go, "You're fucking libertarians." <laughs> yep, they're libertarians. That's what's going on here. Yep. They're like they sell bumper sense. stickers that have the Confusion Hill logo, which is like uh, again a big red question mark uh, in front of what appears to be like a yellow hill, <laughs> like a little <laughs> peak, and it says uh, the system isn't broken; it's fixed. Oh, confused much? (laughs) Confusion Hill, Confusion Hill. (laughs) Triggered. What you're feeling is the invisible hand of the market. That's why everything's leaning to the left. Confusion Hill, libertarian mystery spot, copyright infringement thing, where they're just like, what? We should be allowed to compete with the mystery spot. 49 cents for the governor's cut. This is not a market of things that need to be competing with each other. It's the exact same thing. But I will say Confusion Hill has the the man-made attractions of a big pit full of rocks where you can stack the rocks. It <laughs> yeah. says stack rocks here. Oh, yeah. And they, it also has like a big plaster hand coming out of a tree that's pointing at you for no reason. And they also, we should point this out as it is pertinent to the date we're recording this, there are the Twin Tower Memorial Redwood trees. Those are not redwoods that were planted on 9-11 or after 9-11. They are just two redwoods that after 9-11, the guy who owns Confusion Hill said, it, there, on the plaque it says, well, I, you know, after those terrible events, I looked at those things and I said to my brother, Bill, you know, I see the Twin Towers. And so we put up a sign <laughs> that's like everything in the mystery spot. Also, oh, con- at Confusion Hill, um, there's like an FAQ on a tree and there's all these like, you know, where, where, how did this house come to be? Blah, blah, blah. And that's how I found out that he went looking for a, a Confusion Hill. And uh, then, then one of them is like, is, is there a lot of spirit activity here? And it's like, no, we don't have any spirits or ghosts, except for my brother who loves to run the trains. Anyways, we call him Engineer Don. He's definitely around. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no spirits, except for this one that's definitely here. Um, yeah, what the fuck was that? I don't that? know what they're trying to, I mean, it, they're not selling it as haunted. They're just letting you know. These people that, don't know what the, the fuck they're doing. These people are crazy. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. Um, get it together. I got a nice patch. All right. So, so okay, we passed. Confusion Hill, a must-see. Mystery spot, higher quality, uh, but, um, you know, not as, not, not as kitschy. Still pretty kitschy, but not as kitschy. Yeah. No, Confusion Hill, like, steals shit from their gift shop, is what I'm saying. Yeah. I went and I bought something. I bought, a, like, a Trump. I bought a postcard of... Bigfoot with Trump hair and it said something really ambiguous. It said elect Bigfoot for president. And then like the person who sold it to me was like, huh? Like they thought it was cool? <laughs> I was like, this is a joke, right? I think they like Trump. Yeah, and Bigfoot. Um, so I don't know, man. Fuck Confusion Hill. That's my point here. Mystery Spot is hot. Confusion Hill is not. Let's, um, I'm going to talk about Arcada on the next episode. Okay. We'll skip Arcada. Um, now we've made it up the coast into Oregon, uh, where we were just immediately just fog just comes down and you drive through it. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, you enter a cloud. Everything's just real spooky. Trees are real hypnotic. Um, Jake's never seen trees before. I'm, it turns out no, from a part of the country where they're illegal, and <laughs> uh, and so we've made it. We've we're in the 
we're at a specific part of our voyage here. I don't know how to like like. Uh, Do you want me to say where we are? Hold on, I'm setting this up. Okay. We are on a left pig farm. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say the part of the country we drove through, if that would help. Okay, go ahead. Uh, we drove through Northern California and then through Southern Oregon, and now we're in Southern Oregon, and we've been seeing nothing but trees for like three hours of driving, and now we're at a left pig farm. There <laughs> All you right. go. Nailed it. Yep. Okay. Uh, hi, I'm here with Kate and Pat from what is the name of your farm? PK Pastures. PK Pastures. I love it. Um, tell me where the hell we are. What's going on here? You are in the painfully adorable town of Sweet Home, Oregon. <laughs> um, yeah, we are in the mid Willamette Valley. Um, and our farm is just under six acres. Um, we have pasture and a little stand of heritage oak trees. And on that six acres, we run hogs and chickens. Mm. Um, and we rotate our animals through our pasture. So we're doing the like, there's this movement in sustainable ag that got pretty hip um, after Michael Pollan's omnivore Omnivore's Dilemma came out and he interviewed Joel Salatin, who um, is a livestock farmer in the Southeast. And he popularized this system of um, basically like rotating your chickens through your pastures after your cows. And then maybe you throw some hogs in there and blah, 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 blah. So he popularized this model of how small-scale farmers could move away from like our conventional CAFO concentrated animal feeding operation methods of raising meat in okay. America. Um, and we are millennial farmers who jumped on that bandwagon. So it's, um, it's called rotational grazing, uh-huh. um, which sort of speaks for itself, right? Like we um, don't raise our animals in a big creepy dark barn we raise them outdoors yeah totally (laughs) like where they're supposed to live and shit um we move our chickens once a day um and we move our pigs like once every two weeks um so we are letting our animals forage um for their own feed right that means like eating grasses and legumes and bugs and stuff i see out about in the world and then like in addition to letting them be animals (laughs) and do the thing that they are uh you know naturally supposed to do um we're we're also letting them like drop their manure um in situ right where we want it to go so um the Uh. like main the main um advantages of rotational grazing um are that you you your animals are living a higher quality lifestyle um their meat ends up tasting better because they're uh they're eating green stuff right um breathing fresh air getting sunshine but also you don't spend your time shoveling shit um because they're pooping in place right so they're fertilizing our fields for us oh smart okay I get it. Um, so I guess the other thing about this farm that is interesting to me that made like this whole uh, con- idea 
uh, pop out to me is that we're sitting in a room with like a big sign that says fuck liberalism there's all sorts of theory books all over the walls and shit um, we're obviously all big leftists here yeah okay so a thing that I haven't told either of you yet which is like Ooh. maybe this maybe this is like the lefty credentials for the farm mm. <laughs> is um, the foundation of our um, herd of swine um, aka our like mama pig or big girl or sow um, is named Carl and her name is Carl because I got her um, a little well yeah she's a, she's about two years old and I got her on Cinco de Mayo which is Carl Marx's birthday All right. and the idea was I was gonna get this group of pigs I bought them as piglets and I was like I'm gonna name one Carl da 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 because it's his birthday um and that's gonna be the pig that i raise for my own freezer um but then it turns out that this young lady stole my heart and instead of like having carl be the freezer pig i was like oh that's my girl um i'm gonna get her knocked up sure. <laughs> like i'm not gonna knock her up but i'm gonna outsource that um right but i kept the name carl so our big mama, who just had her first litter of her own piglets um, three weeks ago. Her name is Carl. And then last... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the big, big, that's the big black girl out there. Um, and then our boar we got last fall. And I fucking think this is hilarious. And like no one else has ever laughed really when I've told them this. But um, his name is Trotsky, which is funny <laughs> because pig's feet are called trotters. Oh, clever. I get it. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's I think it's fucking funny. <laughs> so, yeah. So our um, our breeding stock um, is Carl and Carl and Trotsky. And Trotsky, um, we did like a farm walk this morning and met the pigs. And Trotsky is the only one who isn't currently out and about on pasture grazing because I had to, um, I had to put him in timeout um, in our barn because he recently got a whiff of our um, younger feeder pigs. So um, the pigs that will be butchering next mm -hmm. have come of age if you will and a couple of days ago uh in the morning i found him in their pen just like fighting and fucking his way through all the pigs so um yeah he was like tossing with uh, all the males is, and uh, just like chasing tail super hardcore so i remember when i first um, moved to new york <laughs> yeah 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 so um yeah trotsky Trotsky's in the barn for a second and I'm going to have to like move him. You have to um, butcher to him with, uh, field. with an ice pick to the back of his head. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't do that. I have to take him to a USDA facility and have, um, yeah, someone from the federal government ice pick him. Sure. That's just the well, law. Just like Trotsky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, Stop um, trying to assassinate my pigs. Okay. <laughs> Please. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, anyway, uh, so tell me a little bit about like, because um, we were, you know, talking last night when we rolled in about sort of how a lot of the farming stuff here relates to labor politics and also to like, um, you know, the agriculture industry and the way that it connects to everything else. Yeah. 
Um, I, <laughs> especially because you are landing here after um, your show in Arcata, um, I wanted to talk to you folks um, about sort of like the dirty, seedy underbelly of <laughs> organic and sustainable farming. Um, maybe to like back up like a, a way to start that conversation is to acknowledge that um, organic food the food that we should be eating, the food that is good for us is like really expensive. Yeah. It's like out of the price range for most of us. Like I have been on food stamps <laughs> for um, pretty much my entire farming career because you don't make any money farming. Uh, so to like purchase the good food that I am growing, if it's something that the farm that I'm working on doesn't produce, like I have to buy that shit with food stamps. Um, right. The cost of real food that is good for people and the planet um, is already super expensive. The bummer is that even that like inflated or not inflated, sorry, um, even that higher cost of um, organic meat and veggies and dairy yeah. um, isn't high enough because um, that price, even though it's already unattainable for a lot of people, doesn't um, include adequate compensation for the people that work on organic farms. Um, so yeah, see previous comment about uh, I'm, I'm 32 years old. Uh -huh. I've been working in sustainable farming for um, a little over a decade and I have I think twice gotten up to minimum wage <laughs> wow. and that's like working in a managerial position yeah. I got paid basically minimum wage um, but for the most part folks who work on sustainable organic farms especially small family farms mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of like your working for what comes down to drastically below minimum wage, but it's in exchange for like room and board, right? So right. like uh, that probably means you live in a tent or a trailer or a converted tool shed <laughs> somewhere yeah. on the farm's property. And um, you work there during, especially the height of the season, like maybe... 10 hours a day it's really physical um it seems ironically just really similar to the original serfdom oh sure every yeah sprung out of of yeah of course but there's this weird thing where like um like <laughs> so I, I you know i went to like i went to school in new york i was overeducated at sarah lawrence college <laughs> um and then like sure right like read wendell berry and michael pollan books and um f like fell in love with just being real like calling myself out right like in my in my youth i fell in love with like the romantic idea that's sort of like a like a an iteration of the back to the land movements in the 60s right so like kind of like um communards like 2.0 sort of thing sure yeah um and a lot of that again was inspired by like the fucking 
the omnivore's dilemma. Like that kind of like acknowledging that there are big problems in our food systems. And so going like, all right, well, I'm going to, right. I'm going to start an organic farm. I'm going to like go work at an organic farm and sort of atone for my privilege by living this like ascetic sort of lifestyle. Like I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to, you know, it's 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 like changing your light bulbs or using a reusable canvas right. tote bag. The first know? instinct that most people have when they even start thinking about this stuff is that, like, because we're kind of brainwashed through liberalism and capitalism to think, like, your agency is the things you consume, the thing that you do when you work or whatever. It's, it's You start off with, like, lifestyle stuff yeah. and then sort of move from there and yeah. later come on to, to realize it's, like, not enough, I guess. Yeah. But I totally follow you. Right. Um, so getting back to like how that relates to labor questions, right? Is that like, because of that process of like feeling like you acknowledge that there's something broken and fucked up in our system and you feel like you are motivated to do something to change it. Right. So maybe you make this personal lifestyle choice. Like, well, I can't, I can't really kick against the pricks in a big systematic way, but I can go, you know, grow organic potatoes or something. So I'm just, Mm. I'm just going to go do that. And at least that makes me feel like the labor that I'm doing is, is good, is is like noble in some way. Right. And in that way, it's sort of like a, it's like a solipsistic sort of, um, well, it's not bad. It's not, it's not bad, but you're not, necessarily contributing to a greater solution but it like feels good to do yeah you know so then you have um this workforce of people who are happy to work on organic farms and accept shitty payment for the labor that they're providing right right because it's like i'm grateful to be here like yeah. I'm, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to work for shit pay and I'm going to like it. Right, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. There's that weird <laughs> like, self-flagellation thing so yeah. that I can, you know, feel better about just being a bougie consumer Ex- yeah. in like a lot of other exactly. ways. Exactly. Yeah. It's like joining ISIS, I said. Uh, you're, you know, you're motivated by ideology, not by payment. Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's exactly like this. <laughs> um, but so then what that means is that you have also, like, who who are those people then? Like, who is able to make that sort of uh, decision? Like, to, again, it's like rich kids who get in, who go through the dumpster diving phase. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, Oh God, it's way like that. Like, I'm not saying I'm from a wealthy family necessarily, but, um, I grew up in like an NPR listening household, you know, raised by like a single mother. But, um, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm from like a middle-class liberal family. So I, when I made the decision to like fucking live in a teepee, you know, and like work on a heritage dry corn farm, like I knew that, if shit really hit the fan, I wasn't, I, yeah, I wasn't going to end up, I, I wasn't going to end up totally like cold and alone in the desert, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like my mom could help me out. Oh, really, okay. I see right. You know what I'm, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This, this brings up something uh, kind of interesting to me because like, which know. just to interject really fast, like 
I just want to say, I know that that makes me sound like an asshole. No, it makes you sound like <laughs> and it's, most but people. But it's, it's so, it's true. It's fucking true. Organic farming community. You know this shit is true. <laughs> yeah. You know it's true. Okay, no, sorry. Go no, ahead. that's fucking most people. <laughs> and everyone's like afraid to sort of actually, re, you know, reckon with their real placement in society. But most of us are kind of in some, on some level yeah. on a spectrum of, of like that middle part. And it's like, these aren't conscious decisions that I'm making at the time, but it's, it's true. It's like that. That's what has enabled me well, it's to also, choose to go into a profession where I know I'm never going to make any money. Yeah. Um, and then not, not wanting to talk about that's like part of that like uh, weird liberal guilty thing we were talking about. Um, but I, okay, so I guess this is, the reason this is interesting to me is because, you know, you can sort of criticize um, people's like lack of ideology and people just sort of getting stuck in this like these very um, short sighted. Uh, you know, little frameworks where they're like, well, I'm going to do this job and uh, that's, you know, me contributing towards a better society or a better world or whatever, or I'm going to, you know, be vegan or I'm going to like consume certain things ethically. And, you know, I often do criticize those things because they're just, you know, I don't know, they're like insufficient. If you actually sort of think about them to their logical end, they don't do anything that collective action would. But what's interesting is, you know, I, I can't just go around making this argument and talking about how this thing sucks and criticizing it all the time. Like, we also need to explain, like, how it actually leads to really bad shit happening. Um, that's why I guess I, I'm going to ask you to explain this uh, sort of this sort of concept of um, sustainable agriculture being propped up by illegal weed and the effects that that has. Yeah. So I guess first I'll, first I'll just say like as a disclaimer, um, this is not necessarily the case for the, every small scale or sustainable organic farm in America. Like um, this is something which is a really, really common practice. Um, but, you know, I'm, there are plenty of farms out there that aren't propped up by weed money and that grow vegetables. Like that is also, that is also true. <laughs> but I guess what we're talking about um, here is a specific like byproduct. It's not a yeah. across the board rule, right? but it's real. Yeah. Um, essentially there's like the, the dirty secret that I was talking about before is um, certainly in the, certainly in the West coast farming community, it is fairly, common that um, because uh, sustainable organic farms have like just a really thin margin, you know, like again, you don't make money doing this stuff. Um, a lot of farmers have either gotten the startup money to like buy property or uh, invest in farm equipment because they started out growing weed uh, in the prohibition area in the under prohibition so like yeah weed's legal up and down the west coast now um but that's still a relatively recent thing right so yeah. i know of a number of farms <laughs> that were only able to get into the veggie business because they had started out growing weed right and like maybe they had worked on other farms and they had organic farming experience but it's like you're never gonna have enough money for down payment on a property working as a farm hand but if you hustle some weed like yeah you can afford to buy property right. you know what i mean and 
this is like it's it's a it's a fairly common thing on small farms but i have heard anecdotally and i will say like this is anecdotally this is like a friend of mine whose girlfriend worked on this farm so like you know whatever rumor <laughs> mill shit but um the, oh my god this is it's just so it's so crazy it's so crazy folks this is this is some crazy shit oh, one of the um one of the farmers who like old school hippie dude like back at the beginning of the organic movement like basically writing the national um checklist for organic certification um at a national level one of the one of the farms that like like is foundational um same fucking deal like a friend a friend of mine's girlfriend was really stoked because she was going to go get to work for a season on this farm or like visit it or something and learn from like you know at the feet of the master right like this old school farmer dude in california and um she gets there and she's kind of just like wait what the fuck because like the workload is a lot of like oh yeah we're gonna take care of the pot right now like because that's really important like we got to take care of the pot and like her experience there was like it was all marijuana harvest related shit and not vegetable stuff she was like oh you know it's it's just like a like a (laughs) you too (laughs) you know what i mean like you too um yeah and i guess maybe i need to stress that the reason that i find that so like kind of like yes sad and what the fuck is like if you are sort of like an elder you know in the farming community and you're part of like a big like visible national conversation that's happening about what does organic agriculture mean what should our growing practices be like how should we how should we organize and run our farms and like you're not including fair and like if you're not including both adequate um compensation for your laborers and like really putting a a real price on the food that you're growing um it you're just doing like not just our industry but um like our our community in general like at such a disadvantage sure you know it's it's just it's such it's such a fucking blind spot it's such a blind spot okay so that's so that's one that's one part of the like weed and organic vegetables on the west coast are tied is um farmers will farmers will grow weed Farmers will have illegal grows. You Uh take that money, you use it to buy your farm. Like that's one like old school thing that happens. But then there's this other weird like, um, like Walmart-esque thing, right? Where like Walmart's employees have to get food stamps or be on like uh, Medicaid, Medicare because Walmart doesn't take care of their employees, right? Right. There's also the thing which is true uh, (laughs) that um, illegal weed grows end up subsidizing organic small organic farms specifically because like to continue to work on an organic farm and not get paid anything like and stay and survive you're probably going to go trim weed 
Yeah. Not to mention, if you work at Walmart, you probably also just sell weed. <laughs> sure. It's, yeah. Thing just subsidizes everything, and it yeah. fills in the gaps where they're like, "Oh, people can live on fucking, you know, on us paying them nothing because, yeah, because they're they're aware that you're just gonna have to do other shit." Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's the same thing on these like you know, fluffy rainbows and unicorns feel good, small organic farms is there's sort of this expectation that you're going to work on this organic farm during the growing season, growing vegetables, but then you sure as shit are going to have to do something that actually makes you money in the fall and the winter, because that's not what you were doing on the farm, you right. know? So it's a pretty common rotation to like, work at organic farms during spring, summer, up to fall. And then, um, right, especially in California, um, like, go find some place to buckle down and, like, get off the farm, go trim a bunch of weed, and then, like, that's what you live on for the rest of the year is the money that you made um, trimming. And to be clear, um, I'm, I'm talking about, like, illegal legal gross yeah so that's like <laughs> that's that's kind of where this thought is headed i guess is um there's this byproduct of um these small farms not paying enough and then causing people to subsidize their own business with the illegal weed industry because if you sell legally the like the market up here is really flooded right 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 like, like everyone is just fuck there's just weed everywhere yeah everybody is trying to sell weed to everybody else on yeah. the west coast like everybody's fucking growing weed yeah there was yeah. like a boom right like it's when they nonsense. legalized it and, and there was like too much weed at one point because yeah. it's like there are more pot shops than there are starbucks yeah now, I, we saw know? like a like, cute little sign on the way here that had like an ear of corn on it and it said sweet cron that one. i know that sign <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's actually weed? Because I like, yeah. There's this. There's. Well, it's this either that or that it's I, the band corn. It's a misspelling of the word corn. Yeah, it either means yeah. weed. It's been there for years. Oh really? Yeah. You oh. Buy and you have this conversation every time. Like. <laughs> I would like for that to mean that like they're selling chronic at their corn farm. I mean, I really thought it was just a sign painted by somebody who got mixed up. Me too. And then was like. They'll figure it out. Right. There's a picture of the corn. It's literally just like a hand-painted sign on a piece of plywood that like no one has changed. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was Dr. Dre. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like um, organic Dr. Dre, like hippie Dr. Dre. Oh, NorCal. (laughs) Well, anyway, okay, so that's an an important distinction to make, right? right? There's the legal weed industry, which is the fucking, everything's flooded, everyone's selling, and then there's this other thing where because weed isn't legal everywhere, some people subsidize their income by selling illegally like into other states. Yeah. Like if you're trying to if you're trying to actually like make a chunk of change and you're still a pot grower on the West Coast, you're probably trying to sell to the Midwest or the South or the Northeast. You're going to try to hustle your product in states where it's still illegal because right that's where the price is higher. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so basically the way that equation balances out is that <sighs> white kids on the West Coast are making a shit ton of money selling weed to places where 
brown kids <laughs> get locked up in the prison industrial complex for having, you know, like a joint somewhere in their car on their yeah. dashboard. Um, and there's like somehow this like willful blind spot on the West Coast um, around that and like the right our complicity in jamming our prisons full of black and brown kids who are you know like the fact that they had some pittance of marijuana on them is like the excuse for them to get hauled in um so what's interesting to me about this whole like picture that we're painting is if you look at the the large you know the whole picture here um what you've got is farmers that don't make enough money in their own industry, you know, because they're not paid well enough um, because of the fucking bosses and because of just all this shit we understand about capitalism. So what they do is that then they have to subsidize their business by bootlegging essentially weed into a situation where it then gets black and brown people put in jail. Um, and so this is all like one big unfunctioning thing and it causes like what we were talking about earlier, the farmers themselves to sort of be like, um, you know, blissfully unaware or detached from it the same way, you know, you might feel guilty about eating meat, but if you never fucking come see the pigs, you know, who gives a shit? It's like not in your head, right? Yeah. Um, that detachment is a real problem and that's why just just thinking of yourself as like a little ethical consumer or an ethical producer isn't enough because mm -hmm. unless we uh, fix these things like in a really big revolutionary way, these inevitably will all, these things will inevitably always happen. I guess right. the system always works out this way because the root of this problem is that people aren't getting fucking paid their fair share. And like, yeah. yes, please. Yeah. Like, I want to go back to the thing you were talking about earlier, which is that organic food, even though it costs more than conventionally grown food, still doesn't cost enough. And like, I think it's it's sometimes hard to zoom out and really think about the fact that like we are we have so much cheap food in this country, and um, it seems like it's a good thing because poor people can buy cheap food. But the reality is, food should cost more, and people should make more. People should be able to afford organic food because there is no long term solution that is cheap forever. You know what I mean? Like conventional agriculture is, is a, it's, it's capitalism applied to the natural world. It's taking the idea of infinite resources and applying it to the natural world where the resources are not infinite unless they are properly managed. So like you, you end up with like, yes, like, you know, everybody knows big ag is fucked up, but I, I can't afford to buy $8 eggs, you know? Yeah. Right. It's, it's just a huge bummer that, when you produce something of quality that you're proud of, it's not available to people. It's not available to p normal people at all, basically. Because it's like, sorry. Uh, yeah. Because we're so used to the idea that we should make starvation wages, that minimum wage, which is starvation wage, is like enough. When like the only thing that you can do when you live on minimum wage is eat the cheapest, like most processed, most efficient, lowest quality food available. And that's what big agriculture is producing. Right. And in, in what should be considered a normal world, we're not producing anything fantastic. We're just producing normal food. 
That's a good point. It, it's it's just regular <laughs> animals eating on the grass. It's just normal normal food. But for some reason, and, and when we were when we were on one of our little field trips coming out to Oregon to figure out where we we're gonna land, we stopped by a couple of farmers. I can't even remember where it was, but. This, this this guy's name was Zach, I believe, and he he put it into my mind. Just I can't remember the exact words he used, but to to label something organic requires all kinds of regulation and all this stuff, and the government has to get involved, and, and there's all this stuff. But it's total. It's and it's expensive, but it's totally fair game, no problems at all to like spray poison and stuff all over the food and then sell it. Like that's totally legit. It's easy. It's yeah. cheap. It's re- a really strange backwards what's, world we live in. Yeah, what's the the one that's regulated and hard to get the sticker for is normal normal food. Zero, nothing happened to it yet. Yeah, that's fucking weird. Just regular regular food. <laughs> that's so fucking funny. Yeah, <laughs> which is then right like so the the real big fucked up large system well this is very wrong thing is and the reason that farmers like get paid shit and make shit money is because we heavily subsidize like we actively subsidize the scary gross big ag farming systems you know like this is a weird thing too that i like always makes me raise an eyebrow um any type of like vegetable is classified as a specialty crop at like a federal level. Um, so we subsidize big commodity crops. We, we subsidize wheat, corn, and soy. Like super, super, super heavy. Those are the things that the government like helps pay people to grow. And like corn very much so that we can do like corn syrup and da 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 all the processed foods. Um, we don't subsidize quote unquote like specialty crops which is like like vegetables yeah like the yeah. stuff that we should eat stuff that's good for you right so so this this is also in a, in a, you know in a way is related to like health in the US in a way yeah 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 yes yes uh yes it is, is. everything's just made from fucking corn and you know weird cash crops and shit and uh, there's no incentivization for um food that is actually good for us to be distributed according to the needs of our health and not to whatever the market prop uh here's what i'm getting at i've been thinking about this since i got here right so we're on a small farm and there's always these sort of arguments about small farms versus these big fucking crazy factory farms but on some level um in our utopian vision of things you know, a centrally planned large farm could solve a lot of these problems. It doesn't have to be small farms that are competing with the evils of a big private farm, right? Totally. And there's like sticky historical precedents and weird feelings about like, ah, yeah, central planning for farms. We've seen that maybe not go so great in other places. But I mean, like, so, so yeah, yeah, there are, there's like, there are things to be aware of and there are problems to avoid with that. But it is it I think it belies a total lack of imagination to be like, yeah, it has been fucked up before in the past when we tried to do that. So obviously there's no way to try to make that work in the future. But it's also like 
farming is the is one industry i guess really at the base all industries are like this but it's you know it's governed by availability of natural resources more more directly than you know say media uh and so to create one large farm you know like a centrally planned farm goes against is is as monoculture you know uh, what you end up with is monoculture unless you it's like then you would have to plan biodiversity, but that varies so much by region that like, to me, it doesn't really make sense to have one big farm just as a, as a farmer, you know? So, I mean, yeah, monocropping is bad. Monocropping is where you just plant one species and a lot of it. So think of like, you know, just a massive cornfield in the Midwest that goes on forever. Or soy or wheat. Sure. Like that is bad for the environment because, um, you end up having a lack of like species diversity, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. And then also if you have um, like a pest or disease problem, if it's just the same crop planted as far as the eye can see, that can proliferate. You can get like, um, right, they can breed and spread really rapidly. There's just, yeah, monocropping When you plant different bad kinds of plants next to each other, they help each other resist diseases and they take different things from the soil and they put different things back in the yeah. soil. And when you have just all of one kind of thing, it's like when you, it's like when you go to a live Positive America show and you're like, oh, this is one big guy named Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's yeah. bad. And when one Jeff gets a disease, they all become diseased. <laughs> all the Jeffs go down. <laughs> um, yeah. So we don't want to advocate for a large, for large scale monocropping systems but um it is true back to that question of personal agency versus like actually making a difference um chipping away against larger problems it's like we can do the best that we can on our six acre farm um we yeah we can we can do that on our small scale and sure feed people in our immediate community those are those are good things but um, there are a lot of people living in this country and a bunch of small six acre farms isn't necessarily the, the most efficient way to grow enough food for all of us. So like at some point we do need to think about, you know, what if there, what if there were larger farms that, you know, weren't like managed by Monsanto um, and like self-driving poison spraying tractors you know what i mean like we we could do that and they don't need to be monocropped they could be for example um they could be silvopasture large expanses of silvopasture which is an idea that's gaining traction in the sustainable farming community um uh that's been around in a lot of cultures of around the world for a while and it's essentially you put trees um in your farm landscape Mm -hmm. so um i think the most interesting idea that i um am gonna work on getting some grants to implement here on our farm um is alley cropping so that's where you have rows of trees that are planted in in lines that are far enough apart that there's a alley which gets enough sunlight um, because if you planted your your rows of trees too close together, right, they would shade out whatever you're trying to grow beneath them. Right. Um, but so then you have this alley that you could grow other food, like grain crops in. So maybe you have like a row of hazelnut trees or apple Ooh, trees, cool. and then you've got like 
50 to 100 feet of corn and then another row of trees and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. And like that's an idea that is that's gaining traction um, because we need to think about carbon sequestration, right? Yeah. And like trees do a good job of that. We did a lot of cutting down trees to farm. So like maybe we should think about putting some of them back. And, and like and it's and it's that thing of like, you know, you plant a couple of trees in your own backyard and like, okay, great. That's nice. And again, like I bet that makes you feel better or something, but that's the type of thing that when we talk about actually doing it on a large scale, like now, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. And that's also interesting. Cause it's like, um, it's innovative and in a way that is oriented towards like the sort of, uh, the new, oncoming problems that we're going to have to deal with in terms of this stuff. So like, yeah, you can't just carbon copy, um, a large centralized plan, uh, you know, farming plan or you shouldn't obviously the ones that didn't work in the past. Um, and also we should be criticizing all of the faults of these, you know, capitalistically privately, uh, driven plans. So this is like a lot of things that we talk about as modern leftists, something where the thing that we're envisioning is not just a, like a copy paste of something else that works somewhere else. It's going to have to be something entirely new, especially because we are more than any other generation ever um, having to factor like climate change into all this with the fucking Amazon being on fire and shit. So things like you're saying, you know, putting trees back in the ground has to be a part of it. Um, which is why it can't be in- entirely profit driven. Obviously um, it has to like the stuff on some level has to be just, just, just about making life better for people on the fucking planet. Right. Like we don't necessarily need to cut down trees to produce meat. Right. Like there's that one of the reasons that the like, drive to have people eat less meat in America, which by the way, I'm in favor of, we should all eat less meat, eat less meat, eat. If you're going to eat meat, know where it comes from. Um, you don't need to have it every day. Once a week is probably fine. Um, that's fine. But, uh, like people will talk about clear cutting or burning down the rainforest, um, for cattle farmers um, for people to ranch in the fucking Amazon rainforest, which is insane, or to grow soybeans, which then get shipped to the States and used as feed for livestock in these large concentrated animal feeding operations. Um, yeah. And, uh, clearly that's bad, but like we could imagine a different system. We could implement a different, um, a a different, uh, livestock, um, rearing practice that involves planting trees and running our cows, our sheep, our pigs underneath those trees, like stacking functions, you know, like it could be additive, not subtractive. Yeah. It doesn't have to be one or the other. There's like, and what's cool about sustainable agriculture now is there are so many people coming up with all these different ideas, partly because of like, you know, essentially uh, the failure of big agriculture and also the, the need to adapt to climate change. Um, but I wanted to mention the, uh, alfalfa thing. Like one thing that's really heavily subsidized in California is alfalfa Mm -hmm. and it's to ship as pig feed, um, mostly to China. So like the worldwide consumption of meat is like 
it's it's driving the domestic economy even though it's you know that's like one of california's big exports and so the california like water table is getting really fucked uh because we're growing a lot of stuff but it's not feeding even americans or, or even people you know it's more profitable to grow pig feed and send it to china and that's you know kind of crazy yeah, and I, I just think it's interesting, you know, when we're pushing for these solutions or uh, avoiding these problems and in regards to, like, the fear of central planning, I think it's interesting that we are even discussing, like, the idea of, like, putting central planning in place as if there's not already central planning and a huge system that's already going. It's just a matter of how can we do this much more intelligently so that, well, so, so that, I mean, I mean, like it doesn't necessarily make any sense to have a battle between large farms and small farms. It should just be like the right size farm for the location. And, and it maybe doesn't make any sense to like grow all of something in one little part of the country and then ship it all over the place. And, and, and I don't know, basically it makes a lot of sense to have some people in charge of just thinking about these things and being part of planning because the individual farmers are mostly concerned with what's right in front of them on the land they're standing on and aren't necessarily trying to coordinate a continent-sized nation of food. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's like as simple as, uh, it's just, thinking about this stuff just reminds me of like when I see those fucking scooters in cities that everyone hates so much, and I'm like, I hate them too, but like, the fix here isn't, I mean, it's fun to beat the shit out of them and destroy them and throw them (laughs) off of bridges and stuff, but like, what would be a better fix is just like, what if they were just ours? What if they were just run publicly or whatever? The technology that's in place can't serve us. It's just, we have to just get the fucking profit motive out of it because it just fucks everything up. Yeah, whenever I see those scooters, I'm like, if these were free, they would be tight. If these were just here and people could just ride them around and, you know, people wouldn't steal them because they also need money, if they were free, I would fucking use them, yeah. Actually, let me say something about that. Uh, so, like, there's city bikes in New York and it's just like a fucking bike that just has like a little iPad screen in it. Yeah. And you see them all the time with just the screen bashed out and shit. And, like, so someone's just riding it as a bike now. And I saw the most dystopian Black Mirror shit ever the other day, which is that I was working in Manhattan and I saw a kid working for uber eats on a city bike and at first i was like this doesn't make any sense like economically dude like what are you doing and then i noticed it was a fucking broken one that he stole (laughs) he stole to use it to make money doing deliveries which is like what we should be doing with all this shit man (laughs) yeah like i mean to be clear i would love it if Personally, I would love it if uh, under the Sanders administration, like I was a government employee. Hell yeah. I would fucking love it if I, yeah. And then his pet in the office would be Carl. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like um, there's some good language in Bernie Sanders, uh, right? Like um, environmental policy that he's released, like the Sanders Green New, the Sanders edition Green New Deal, right? Um, Mm Yeah. The language is a little bit vague. Um, so, I don't know, holler at your girl, Bernie, <laughs> Bernie's staff. Um, but there's, um, but there is uh, verbiage in there um, about support for sustainable, small and organic farming systems. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's 
it's pretty vague, um, but it sort of points at um, and mentions um, investing in um, farming systems that are good for the planet and the people who live here rather than, um, you know, environmentally disastrous, which is what we have right now. Um, yeah, I... I, as a farmer, my goal is to feed people, um, not to feed rich people, you know, like not to sell to like super awesome, hip, cool restaurants. Uh, but like my, my goal is to, is to make food, um, that is like nourishing, um, and also makes people happy when they eat it. Right. Like, and why wouldn't that be um, a publicly owned resource? Right. right? It's pretty like, basic. It's shouldn't like, that? It's like the main thing that people need. Yeah. Belong to us and be for us. Um, yeah. I'd love to live in that world. Yeah. Well, Sounds fucking dope. I fucking hope at some point that this shit is uh, that that happens because I just ate a big plate of food here made here at the farm and it was fucking tight. Um, it was so good. I just want everyone listening to know that you should come out here and eat these people's food. It's badass. Um, I have one more question, I guess. One more thing we should talk about before we should get out before we get out of here, just because it's been on my mind since we've been in this part of the country. Um, you guys are farmers. What what do we, what do we do when uh, when shit goes down? You know, when the apocalypse starts <laughs> happening. <laughs> Excellent question, Jake. Uh, yeah. So again, with that like self-serving, it's kind of selfish thing. Like I, right. Like I went to school in New York city. I lived in New York city for seven years Get out. and then I got the fuck out. And now, <laughs> and now like I'm, uh, yeah. Um, I'm raising my own meat here. I also <laughs> have strategically invested in a flock of laying duck hens. Oh, okay. So down, we... down, right? Feathers down. That's a thing that keeps you warm. Yeah. I also have a small flock of sheep wool, right? That's a thing um, that w- keeps you warm. When we have to fight in the civil war, I'll, my thing is I'll sick the ducks on the, uh, the enemy. Oh yeah. They're, they're fucking gnarly. Um, right. Uh, Oh man, that's a whole other can of worms that maybe like what I, maybe the like seed that I want to place out here, if anybody listening is interested in having a conversation, um, about this issue, um, is, um, we got to talk about agricultural cooperatives. Let's do it. Um, like we as an organic farming community need to talk about that too, because I think that's that's what we do when shit hits the fan, right? right? Is like, um, there's there's some interesting um, examples to look at uh, in Italy of like when the recession happened in 2008 and when that rippled across the globe and you had economies just eating shit, taking nosedives. Um, it's really interesting to look at the way that Italy's agricultural community like stayed level um, and there are a lot of like like they continued to stay solvent um, because they um, they had banded together they they were cooperatives of growers producers and distributors Um, and I would encourage people I would encourage people to ask the internet 
about that <laughs> um, and look at it as a positive example of the work that we need to be thinking about doing in the states um, because right we need we need resiliency yeah we're like we're still able to get food to people when yeah right. when well, shit goes down and how do you do that you do that if again if like we own the means of production which in this case is like how you know like growing the food it also includes like the seeds that you use right like not fucking scary big monsanto proprietary seed but like local regionally produced seed like you need your own seed stock you need land to grow food on that is owned by us by the people you need storage facilities and you need distribution channels um right and that'll that'll be more resilient theoretically in like a recession say if if we were to experience another one really soon right right um and it's like that's a big that's a big question to think about too because like it's a lot easier to imagine that happening right here where we are right we're like we are in a rural spot we're surrounded by farmland but how do you then get that to dense urban areas right Right. like how do you fucking get that shit to queens you know how do you how do you get that shit to detroit um what does that look like um yeah i so (laughs) our website is pkpastures.com there's like our contact info on that Mm -hmm. seriously 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 if um there are any other farmers listening out there (laughs) um yeah get at us um we we should we should talk i think i have some farmer <laughs> listeners i am to you understand had to, there's a lot know? of downtime on in farming which yeah. is why podcasting is probably yeah taking off mm-hmm. in this line of work mm-hmm. um yeah put on your headphones go play with your pigs listen to an episode <laughs> fucking pod damn and talk to pk pastures yeah. yeah yeah cool all right. Um, just a second. Um, another thing I wanted to ask about is the uh, intersection between uh, cl- climate change, uh, immigration, and farming. Because obviously, uh, illegal immigrants are the backbone of American agriculture, and uh, there's a lot. Uh, it's affecting, you know, uh, Trump's immigration policy is affecting where people are going right now, and then in, especially in the next few years climate change is going to drive a lot of immigration so we might get like huge influxes of immigrants so then what the fuck what the fuck will happen like when do those people like uh when does that start to affect the the industry like in in a in a way that you're preparing for right well yeah it's like i focused on talking about like (laughs) basically like hey white kids uh get fucked over in agricultural work too um and just yeah everybody does and like and glossed over what i feel like this audience probably takes for granted which is like yeah right like the the thing about agriculture in the states is like it basically rests on the back of um migrant farm laborers coming up from the southern border right like that's Mm -hmm. like we all know that like that's where your cal organic broccoli comes from you know like that's who's picking your fucking organic strawberries and again that's why you can afford them right 
Right. Because those yeah. people get paid right. less than American workers yeah, get paid. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's that's huge. That is real. And there are definitely farmers that like with Trump's um, maniacal and inhumane um, atrocious nonsense uh, that he's engaging with in terms of immigration policy right now. Yeah, there are plenty of farms, especially the big California farms that are freaking out about like worker shortages. Yep. Um, yeah, that's they real. Trump and that's and a, they didn't that's, think he was going to take their laborers away. That's a food security issue for sure. Um, I uh, don't know enough about um, union efforts um, among uh immigrant farm workers but there are yet to speak to to speak uh on this issue and do justice to it but in oregon um they're the i'm gonna have jake pronounce (laughs) it because i don't speak spanish i suck okay uh this is the pcun or pecun pineros y campesinos unidos del noroeste este sorry noroeste um and this is a farmers union yeah 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 so like there's um and that has that union has a fairly decent presence presence in the state of Oregon, um, and I like would um, I would definitely uh, you know I'm I'm making the like assumption that there are union efforts in other states which are also representing um, immigrant farm workers, but it's like that's the other huge part of the puzzle, right? Is like, how do we give representation and voice um, and support like those workers, which are pretty much feeding our country, you know, like those are, those are the hands, the backs, the bodies um, that are, that are doing that work for us. I mean, Um, like if you want to talk serfs, that is like the closest we have to serfdom is like you come onto land that is not yours. You work on land that is not yours. You live on it briefly and then you have to leave because it's not yours. So like that's it's the most um, fundamental part of our food system is the fact that the people that do the majority of of picking and farm working don't get paid enough. And and that's one thing that I think the idea of an agriculture cooperative addresses the most functional way is like how do we turn the people who do the work into the people who own the means of production absolutely 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 um yeah and that's another thing that we need to look at um funding at a federal level right is how you right it's again it's about like how do you put ownership in the hands of the workers it's it's, right yeah i mean it's that story again this is like one of those things that relates to so much stuff that we could like fucking we just keep going because i mean i just talked to tim faust about like healthcare and his sort of vision of health justice and you know the more we talked about it the more i realized like these basic things that are the fucking like the three things that a human body needs or whatever are these such large industries and they they've just fucking relate to like everything this relates to healthcare this relates to trade deals and stuff a lot of this immigration stuff is also highly related to trade um we could talk about you know fucking nafta and uh you know how you have this whole system of underpaid workers and all this stuff being outsourced to other countries and shit um i mean we could fucking go off but uh yeah i mean like imagine imagine a world where um, we do have climate refugees who are who are um, 
crossing into the States and like <laughs> seeking asylum here. And what if the answer was like, all right, you get a fucking government union job working on a farm growing real food, you know? Yeah. And we take care of you. Like, cause we, we need you here. <clears throat> we right. need help to like move back to, to move to a farming system. Um, right. That's less, uh, environmentally devastating. Like what if, what if those were union jobs? What if, what if we took care of the people that did that for us? Yeah. And then, I mean, you also like, we should eventually think about that internationally where it also shouldn't be a situation where you even have to leave the other country to get here. There should be, you know, protection for those workers worldwide. Right. That way. But because all this this stuff is not made in America. Right. But you know, it's like, there are places that are going to become too hot to grow food. Sure. Yeah. Too dusty to grow food. Like, you know, soil destroyed. Like we can't, Right. There, there are a lot of populations that won't be able to stay in place where they are now um, and still support and still support themselves. Yeah. Well, um, food affects um, trade. It affects the fucking mass incarceration. Uh, it affects the healthcare industry. It fucking affects everything. So I'm glad you guys are making it because, um, you know, we I need it <laughs> and I like eating it. Yeah, in terms of uh, like consumer level action, um, this is like a little bit the just change your light bulb thing, but not entirely. Um, If folks are interested in um, supporting farmers and like figuring out together um, as like eaters and producers how we can arrange our food system in a different way, I would encourage people wherever it is that you live in the country to like look for um, CSA farms in your area that stands for community supported agriculture. And the model is basically like, it it usually works um, that farmers uh, ask people to sign up at the beginning of the growing season um, to be a member um, or subscriber, you could also say of a farm. So basically you, um, pay the farmer part or a portion um, of the tab for the food that you're going to eat that season up front. Um, and then they will, um, for vegetable farms, it's like they'll give you like a box of produce a week, oh, essentially. Cool. Um, so then you're cutting out like the middle person right? Like you're, um, you're just buying direct from the farm and you're eating seasonally. It's like you get tomatoes when tomatoes are fucking in season and you have to learn what celeriac is and cook it. Um, and there are CSAs are becoming pretty common. So if you are someone who's like thinking of signing up for Hello Fresh. This is what I'm saying. Or some meal kit box. It's like box. a better version of your dumb like nerd Funko Pop box where yeah. you get video games and dolls and shit. Yeah. It's your fucking loot box of vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. Um and it doesn't come like pre-packaged in little like portioned things in, you know, like little plastic wrappers this or whatever what like you will about, have to chop the vegetables yourself um this is what i'm saying about the fucking dumb scooters it's like no just make it ours you yeah. know this is that same technology but used as a way to alleviate these fucking problems yeah 
And I get that the idea of paying for like a year's worth of organic vegetables in February is not possible for a lot of people like that can be it can depending on the way that a farm runs it it could be like and that'll be seven hundred dollars please like right now which is something that I certainly couldn't afford to do um but like our CSA um that we run cooperatively with some vegetable farmer friends um because we're all like broke millennials is like a month to month subscription thing. So it's like you, yeah, you get, you pay like smaller increments, like when you can. Um, it's a food tree on. <laughs> yeah. It's a yeah. Pay, kind of actually. Um, it's a pay tree on, you know, <laughs> like with a tree in the middle. <laughs> silver pasture, silver pasture, silver pasture. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, other farmers out there, like I would, encourage people to think about how you can arrange price points that like still give you the compensation that you need um to live your life and (laughs) to sustain uh the the land that you're stewarding um but also like can you how how can you lower the cost of entry to make it accessible for more people who want to eat like good food straight from a farm but like can't just drop 900 bucks at once um anyway csas uh different people run them different ways look look for them (laughs) see see what you can find check it out check it out check it out cool all right well we should probably wrap up here because we're getting a little uh we just gotta drive soon to another town but um uh let's go around and plug all sorts of things that we have um sara you got um i don't uh come see me and jake when is this coming out Okay, well, uh, probably don't come see me and Jake. We'll probably already have been in your city. Um, go to my, if you want to see me do comedy or watch my videos, you can go to heysarajun.com. You can also visit youtube.com slash means underscore TV. Uh, that's where I work. Cool. Um, so, yeah, uh, the farm, I guess. Yeah, um, it, the farm's website is the letters P, K, and then the word pastures.com. Um there's information about what we're doing and who we are there. Um, on Instagram, I don't Instagram much, but we're at PK Pastures on Instagram. And um, that's it. We're a farm. Um, and we might as well talk about your music for a minute. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you want to plug um, anything. I just, uh, we happened to realize, or I happened to realize uh, last night, you we've played your music on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah, you did. You uh, said a thing about how you shouldn't play random music and get sued or something, and that people <laughs> should send music in, and then I did, and you emailed back immediately and put it on your podcast, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I can't believe that worked. Hell yeah. um, and then I came and ate all your food. But, <laughs> but yeah, I've never plugged anything before, but sure, you can... Um, <laughs> You can uh, check out Bear Hat Project on the Bandcamp website. You're in a band too, right? Yeah, and Vampirates is uh, our our punk band based in Reno. Cool. And we're on uh, all of the things, <laughs> Facebook or whatever. Vampirates dot com. There you go. All of like punks that are so anti capitalism that they're like, how do I sell? I don't know. Just buy my thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah, vampires. Check it out. Cool, badass. All right. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I don't know when this is coming out. Probably like next week. I'll probably still be on tour. Uh, my tour dates are on feraljokes.com and also at feraljokes on Twitter. It's my pinned tweet. Um, I'm on the road until like October. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest, I probably already came there. Um, middle of the country, Colorado, Oklahoma City, Texas. I'll be doing shit down there. My last show's in San Antonio, Texas. I just added it. It's on October 4th. Um, but fucking San Antonio is always really hot. So I'll probably be doing one more show there and recording it. And, um, you know, sign up for our Patreon if you want to support the show and get a free digital box of shit, which is just the other episodes of the show. Um, that's it, I think. Um, it's finished. Okay.